वेलकम एवरीवन टू एन इंटरेस्टिंग कन्वर्सेशन ऑन लीडिंग वर्क 2.0 लीडरशिप इन द फ्यूचर ऑफ वर्क पैनल एंड टुडे वी हैव विद अस सम अमेजिंग लीडर्स हु आर हेल्पिंग क्रिएट ऑर्गेनाइजेशंस ऑफ फ्यूचर एंड वी विल लर्न फ्रॉम देम व्हाट इट टेक्स एंड how how has been their journey been and what are some of their their learnings and and some of their findings so we have um, on our panel andrea patton she is a chief people officer at mobi uh, christine janhuen uh, who is a chief people officer at generate capital and kurt landon who is a founder and ceo of inspire thank you everyone and as a start i would love to have you guys introduce yourself introduce your journey what brought you to um the fascinating world of hr and how you are seeing the um, the industry shaping up and maybe kurt you can start first sure my pleasure uh great to be with everyone today uh this is kurt landen with inspira um just uh, briefly about my background so i've been working in the hr and human capital space for the last 26 years uh most uh most of that time in life sciences consulting and tech uh moved around a lot geographically uh to all the different uh, regions in the world and I lived in all corners of the US um started my career at Accenture uh actually as a software engineer and then uh, migrated into human capital consulting there and then into corporate HR and uh spent most of the rest of my career in in corporate HR uh next in life sciences with Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson um later at Biogen biotech company in Cambridge Massachusetts um I also spent quite a bit of time in tech uh so I was a HR executive at Expedia and the chief people officer at Pinterest um and then started my own firm Inspira which is a boutique HR consulting firm um and uh, began that journey about 3 years ago um and I won't go on and on about Inspira but just to say we work with about uh, uh 80 different uh organizations in the for profit and not for profit space all different industries different stages of evolution uh doing a lot of different human capital work from manager and leadership development to DEI uh org effectiveness um and HR technology implementation and now uh executive search and uh recruiting work as well so great to be with all of you thanks good um andrea you want to next Sure, nice to meet you Kurt. Thanks for that. Um I'm Andrea Patton. I am the Chief People Officer at Mobi. Thank you Vishal for having me today. Um you know, I've 25 years of HR experience myself. Um to currently I'm the CPO at Mobi, which is a healthcare company where we help people um with unique and persistent health challenges achieve better outcomes. Um which is a very mission-driven organization, which is something that has become super important to me in my career. Um in my career, you know, a bit of a curvy path. I started um in an organization, a startup and startups being what they are, a lot of opportunity which I grabbed um ultimately became the HR department for a sizable company um and and therefore learned kind of on the job went back to school to get my uh, bachelor's and master's degree in HR because that was um I knew the it was important to have the foundations um although I thought that the job itself was pretty intuitive in many ways um I love the fact that my job t- continues to be today to support 
not only the business, but the employees who make the business. Uh, and in my curvy path, I've also been a middle school teacher. Um, in the midst of my career, I had two kids in school. Uh, being present in their school was really important. And based on that, I was asked to be a middle school teacher to teach career and business skills, um, which I then really understood that becoming, having the mindset of becoming who you want to become in this world um, really starts at a young age. So I was really happy to have that to have that experience. Uh, today, um, my experience is in healthcare, but I've been in many industries. I too worked at Accenture um, in HR. Also, was um, worked in startup mostly uh, in my career. And my passion really is people and being able to create systems that help us care for people in our communities um, within organizations. So that's a little bit about me. That is that is fascinating, Andrea. I love I love the idea of uh, teaching kids uh, entrepreneurship and business and all that. I think this is fascinating, and thank you for all you're doing um, in, in in that side. So um, yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say thank you for that. Awesome, uh, Christine. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Kurt and Andrea, it's so nice to meet you virtually. And Vishal, thanks for, so much for bringing us together. This is, I'm really looking forward to talking to other smart people in, in this industry and, and learning a lot today. I'm, like Vishal said, I'm Christine Jen Hoonan. I'm the Chief People Officer at Generate Capital. I started out my career being trained as a clinical psychologist, and I, I realized very early in my externship that behavior change is actually super hard. And because I'm an, an inherent problem solver and builder, I then migrated to, to trying to learn how to build businesses using that lever of human capital. I went to business school, then I spent time at British Petroleum in the wind and solar um, division, learning about big corporate business building. Then I went into private equity. And I, there I really learned how to form teams quickly and how to surgically address human capital issues. I'm now in my dream job where I get to combine my passion for using a deeper understanding of people as what's often an underutilized lever in business building and in driving business performance. And I, I get to mix that with my deep desire to leave the planet better than I found it. Here at Generate Capital, we focus on investments and we operate assets all in the sustainable infrastructure space. And if you think about, you know, how do those two vectors come together for me? Well, really, sustainability is fundamentally about people, building a planet that can support generations of humanity for all time. And at Generate here, my mandate is to assemble a team that comes from all walks of life with diverse backgrounds, skills, and lifestyles. And I'm the lucky one that gets to work on building a culture and, and the people systems that support each one of our employees in their pursuit of, you know, financial and emotional and professional and physical security. So I feel, I feel like I'm the luckiest person on the planet and I'm, I'm so grateful to be here today. I think that's that's awesome. Thanks, Christine. So I think one thing that I really liked about uh, so when when we spoke in last was um, so you um, you said something which is beautiful that you uh, it's a leader's job to bring um, uh, make sure that every employee bring their best self to work and it's uh, fo uh, focusing on it. I think that's fascinating and thank you for being such a people centric leader um, in that perspective. So um, let's start with the, the the first question that I I have for everyone in this in this room. So uh, 
basically we have we have been through a lot as a, as a society we have been through a lot um, uh, over the last one and a half year and you have been either involved with leading a people organization leading the people in an organization or, or helping other organization manage their people well so with such a um, central focus in leading people to the future i i'm curious to learn what are some of your stark observation uh, that you garnered over the last one year going through this this massive um, this pandemic wave and 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 uh, andrea maybe you can start first okay great thank you you know it really has been an incredible year and i would say inside of our inside of hr excuse me outside of hr you know i think all of us as part of being in the employed world has had to in, endure some things we've never had to even think about enduring so i um you're going to hear something very persistent in my comments and that really is about leadership um and making sure that we like you said christine looking at people as individuals I want the stark uh, revelation for me really was something i knew but it really became clear that we are all individuals i think covid brought out um sh shined a light on the fact that there were um people in their own situations with their own circumstances who had to figure out how to manage um and we as leaders and being in charge of the culture and when i say in charge um being lucky enough to say that that's a big part of my job to help shape um uh, i think it was really important that we had good leaders in the way that everybody needed individual attention everybody had different needs different different types of situations going on and it without empathetic and effective leadership i don't know that we would have fared really well um, and this is really selfish on, on our behalf as well i mean good leadership means you know you have con continue to have engaged motivated people um here at Hobby where we actually help our clients with their health and happiness it's extremely important that we do the same here internally so um again i would just say good leadership was a light was shot was shown on it saying you know we really need this to be able to manage our workforces well and to be able to um to respond in a dynamic way when things happen that are out of our control particularly when they're universal and these uh good leaders need to have discretion um and that was something that was really important to us here today um at Moby so good leadership is is extremely important empathetic effective and there also needs to be the manager needs to have the discretion to be able to um help their employees in a way that's helpful to them um thank you andrew thank you so much um christine you want to go next sure i i love that point about leadership andrew you're so right i i think one of the first things we did as you know there was there were so many unknowns was just get together as a leadership team and really talk about what we what we wanted to say how much we wanted to communicate because we knew as we all spread apart um you know to our homes that staying connected was going to be really important and that requires real leadership. I for for me I think the thing that really stands out as I look back is that you know we are what we learned here at Generate is we're really just better together. Collaboration, decision making, problem solving, innovating, all these things happen more effectively when you're in a room together. Our brains aren't really wired to exist solely in a 2D world and and so you know we're so looking forward to incorporating that third dimension back into our daily work lives and and seeing what kind of productivity lift we can get from it you know we survived as an organization we actually 
did more than survive. We, we had a really great year in spite of everything, but I'm looking forward to that, you know, sort of that step change where I, where we can sort of bump back into thriving. Can I ask a question, Christine? How are you? I mean, that feels, um, I I love the way you described that. Um, You know, we've had a similar experience, but remotely, I think we found a way to to be extremely effective. And that is one of the things we hear from our employees today, and I imagine you might as well. What is your thought on that? Um, As you say, you're excited to get people back into the office. What is your thought about do you think there'll be opposition? Do you do you anticipate a response that's positive? Very curious. Yeah. Well, I I mean I'd love to hear what you guys are doing too. I, I think we're all trying to figure this out in real time and you know really understand how you know a is this a trend? B is it going to have is being remote or you know being a hybrid or going fully back to office like any one of those choices? What kind of long term effects are those going to have on our business productivity and our business performance we we did figure it out you know like everybody we you know it didn't take long before we all found a rhythm and and learned how to get a little more comfortable not seeing each other but for us we are we have always been um a little distributed we've had you know we own and operate physical uh, renewable energy assets so we have people at asset sites so we haven't all been in an office together uh, you know, ever, but we still are super committed to trying to come back into offices together as much as we possibly can. We spend an exorbitant amount of, you know, time, energy, and, and resources making sure that we bring everybody together at different points during the year, uh, just so just so we have that connection, and we'll continue to do that. Do you see? Do you get any resistance to that from your employees? You know, I think everyone's still. So the short answer is perhaps a little yes, um, just because people are still in limbo. People are still figuring out what is this going to feel like and look like for me. There's still a lot of anxiety out there. There's still a lot of unknowns, at least, you know, in our, with our workforce. Um, and so, yeah, there are, I would, there are definitely people at our, at our organization that have questions and sort of want to try it on and want to do it slowly. You know, we're not going to go from being fully remote to jumping back in and everyone being in the office over five days a week. We're, we're going to do some kind of slow, soft, you know, reopening and and phase back into it. And I think we're just going to take it sort of, you know, month by month and see how it goes. We have a, we have a plan and we hope by January 1st, we're, you know, we're back into a, rhythm so everybody understands what our expectations are but yeah of course i I, i'm sure you guys do too we we have people all over the the health concern spectrum we have you know at our at generate we have people all over the sort of emotional um concern spectrum and so we're trying to figure out how best to address all those needs while still you know being really focused on on performance and and making sure we're hitting our numbers Awesome. Uh, thanks, Christine. So, Kurt, um, you want to um, um, share your perspective over over the last year? Sure. 
Sure, um, and I, I really appreciate the comments that uh, Christine and Andrea made, and they, they resonate a lot. Um, you know, I think for me, one of the things that's been interesting is moving from being in an in-house role where I had my primary focus within the organization that I was a part of, and then I, you know, working with within my network uh, of uh, human resources and line leader colleagues to try and understand how some of these issues would be handled, and then now. Uh, Sitting in the position I am in my firm and seeing what's happening across, you know, 80 or so different organizations um, has been uh, illuminating for me as well. And I think also positions us as a firm well to advise organizations on how to navigate during these unprecedented times. And um, while it sounds maybe a little bit simplistic to say this, I think always trying to stay several steps ahead of what's coming next has been some of the advice that mindset-wise we, we give a lot of our, our clients and very much on this topic. And an example of that uh, that I see is um, is part of what I, I think uh, Christine and, and Andrea just touched on. So um, in Christine's organization, if I understand what you shared, Christine, um, accurately, you know, you've always had um, a, a sort of this hybrid model where you've had some people in uh, sort of headquarters or central locations and some people uh, deployed out um, at sites. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um and, and certainly there are other organizations where they've always had a virtual model. I mean, for my own firm, we have uh, about 50-something uh, employees in my firm, and, and they've always been virtual. And then you have organizations where they've always been 100% on site. And I think each of those context is very different. Um, but I think this now presents some unique challenges. Um, and so there are a couple that, that come to mind. So one is, I really uh, believe that the dynamics of the talent market are shifting very significantly and in a direction that's different than many uh, people predicted. So I still observe and hear people talking about the talent market in the way that it was discussed prior to the pandemic or in the early stages of the, of the pandemic. And what I mean by that is I heard a lot at that time, you know, let's say two years ago uh, or, you know, 18 months ago where people were anticipating the, this huge negative economic impact and therefore made the assumption that that would mean uh, a lot of joblessness and a lot of um, additional sort of emphasis on not being a an employer's market versus um, a, an employee's or job seeker's market. And I think what we're seeing is exactly the opposite. And there are a variety of reasons, which we probably don't have time to get into, as to why that's happening. But um, just a few data points that, that might be interesting. So, um, you know, within the next uh, five or six years, we're anticipating seeing about a six million worker deficit with uh, almost 100 million jobs going unfilled. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of baby boomers who retired. Uh, we have more people who are uh, taking early retirement because of the pandemic, um, voluntarily or, or involuntarily. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's this concept called the Great Resignation, um, which essentially is this record low LFPR, the labor force participation rate. And so there's this opting out of the workforce that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. And so when you couple all of that with the fact that um, I recently learned that the birth rate, for example, in the U.S. is the lowest um, in U.S. history at 6.6%. 6 
all those factors together really indicate a tremendous uh, skilled labor shortage that we're experiencing now and it will just get worse in the future so a lot of the advice that we've been giving our clients is um, you need to really pivot away from this idea that you know for example the role of a hiring manager is to uh, assess every candidate and uh, really have every candidate prove their worthiness and competence and eligibility for the job to pivot to more of a mindset and model where um, it is completely a job seekers market. And we predict that within uh, a couple of quarters from now, you will really, really see this very pervasively. And so candidates will be interviewing employers candidates will be interviewing hiring managers to see is this someone i want to work for and so the prior comments that were made about leadership and management i couldn't agree with more and so therefore we've chosen to focus a big part of our practice on frontline people manager effectiveness and capability frontline people manager coaching and development and action learning because we all know that uh, that role of the frontline manager is, in some cases, even more important than senior executive management and leadership. And so these frontline managers and hiring managers need to learn how to sell the employer value proposition of why come work for this organization. Um, they need to be able to gently and softly assess candidates, but probably tilt the balance of selling versus assessment um, differently. And the last thing I'll just say for time's sake for right now, and this is, um, I think this also brings up a host of very interesting uh, diversity, equity, uh, inclusion, and belonging related concerns. So if you have a workforce that is what I would call uneven, and not because that's part of the the intended strategy like Christine shared where you have people you know located at a headquarters and then dispersed that's intentional but in other cases now it's not intentional because um, people have chosen to work remotely the company will allow them to do that so you have some people in the office some people who are not in the office what's the implication of that in terms of inclusive management and inclusive leadership so do you have people in the office who are going to uh, uh, you know, go do something social after hours or go have lunch or something like that, and then there are people who are left behind because they are in some remote location? And we hypothesize there could be some interesting patterns related to that based on DEI demographics. So you could see that sort of lack of inclusion becoming even wider uh, as this um, progresses. And so that will put more pressure on frontline managers to lead much more inclusively um, in this sort of uh, uneven, as I call it, um, dispersion of uh, disbursement of, of talent and where they're based. So a lot in there, there's a lot of complex issues and that's what we're trying to really help a lot of our clients navigate. Kurt, sorry, this is Christine. I love that you're focusing on frontline managers. I think that's that's just so prescient and super timely. Are you finding that the, you know, your clients that you're working with on this, have they, have they already identified that as a need or is this something you sort of gathered as you spoke with a number of your clients and, and it continued to bubble up? Thanks, Christine. You know, I'll admit that um, throughout my HR career, uh, this concept of the importance of frontline people manager capability and, and effectiveness. This has always been something that I've believed is 
the most important thing. And, and my belief has been that if you have great people managers, everything else in the people ecosystem works fairly well. Um, they're going to hire better people. They'll onboard and align them uh, well. They'll uh, manage their performance well. They'll drive greater throughput and results. They'll retain them uh, and have higher levels of engagement. Um, and if people leave, they will probably be effective at maintaining relationships um, from an alumni perspective, etc. Um, but literally every organization I've been in and every organization we work with, when asked, self-identifies that they self-discloses that they have a, a substandard level of people manager capability and effectiveness. And what I've observed is over all these years, people are what I call admiring the problem. And so they're acknowledging that it's a problem. They're acknowledging it's an important problem with consequences. But I haven't really seen a lot done to address that um, in a new and innovative way. And so maybe there's a new and interesting training course, um, and then that raises awareness levels, but it doesn't necessarily really fundamentally change behavior and outcomes. So when I started my firm, we uh, decided we're going to really crack the code on this, and we're going to figure out a way to really drive change. And, and so I had this idea of taking a page from senior leadership executive coaching and bringing that down into the trenches for frontline managers at about one-fifth the cost, right? Because it's not going to be scalable and affordable if you do that at the pricing of executive coaching. Um, so kind of almost like hand-to-hand -hand combat um, with frontline managers. So what are you dealing with today? Who, How can we support you in, in helping you figure out how to deal with this particular employee issue or close this really difficult to close candidate? Or this is the first time that you are managing someone who's going through, let's say, a gender uh, transition. And how can you navigate that? All these types of issues. And most organizations don't have the bandwidth to support all of these frontline managers. So it's just this missed opportunity. So we're doing this coaching with frontline managers. We're doing uh, sort of action learning and really innovative um, small cohort development with frontline managers. And in every organization we're doing it, we're getting tremendously positive feedback where people are saying this is the first thing they've seen that actually moves the dial. Um, and, and then they're expanding it through their whole organization. So it's sort of catching on like wildfire. And then now we're just layering on top of that some of these other issues like managing people remotely, uh, some of the DEI issues, et cetera. So we, we've had a, a little different approach to that. I love what you're saying there, Kurt, about those frontline managers and being uh, you know, a startup. I think we had to kind of do a little bit more of a grassroots to kind of understand how we could help our folks. Um, you know, you said a few very interesting things that your comment about selling versus assessing. Um, in our in our recruiting practices, I think the one thing that really stands out for us is we need to make sure that they are a good fit for the organization. So that's a little concerning to me, um, thinking that we just have to sell folks. And I, and I, I mean, I understand your point for sure. Um, for us, for our frontline managers, you know, we really had to focus on that again because of the pandemic. Um, we knew that we needed to communicate and contact one-to-one. -one. So our approach was we developed these competencies and um, learning development plans. Uh, paths for our frontline managers that we work with them to be able to, first of all, 
uh, be empathetic and understand kind of what the ultimate outcome is that they're desiring from that employee. And also, you know, looking at it from a perspective of, you know, we, we are all individuals. As a manager, you are looked at as an example. You're look at, looked at as a model. And I think that's really helpful to keep people accountable and also um, to rise to the occasion. So for us, it was really important to empower our um, frontline workers, which obviously were much smaller than all of the clients or, you know, the, the accumulation of clients that you're talking about. But it was really helpful for us to um, be able to set competencies in front of them and say, this is what we actually expect from you, empathetic, understanding your folks. And there's a whole bunch of um, that fall under the category team building, um, accountability. There's quite a few. Uh, but it really leads a learning path for them. So that's been effective. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Kurt. Um, and thank you, Andrea, for your point. So now, um, if we talk about your personal roles uh, themselves, how that has evolved over the last one year, I'd love to know your um, uh, point of view on how has your role as an HR leader or as a, as a leader in general changed over the past one year and, and Christine, maybe you can go first. Sure. I'd love to. I mean, my role continues to change just because we're growing so much as a, as an organization, but I would say just personally, uh, I've learned a lot about the physical and emotional needs of a diverse and geographically distributed workforce over the last year. I think, you know, before 2020, often a people leader's job was focused primarily on financial and, you know, sort of professional goals and security. You did a lot of work in, you know, compensation and benefits and development and performance management. But considerations for mental and physical health used to be something, you know, maybe you outsourced or maybe you put at the bottom of your priority list. And that's no longer true, at least not not for me and not for us. We, you know, we, we are thinking a lot about just, just like Andrea, you were asking, we think a lot about, um, how can we provide the best environment um, that, you know, continues to sort of underpin our culture, but also helps people be their best selves at work. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Christine. Andrea, you want to go next? I, I will echo quite a bit of what Christine said. I mean, this year has been a year of learning, again, with all the experience that I have in my back pocket. I don't know that we could have been prepared um, for what this would do to our workforce. Um, um, I would say my role has changed to the extent that um, we go a lot deeper when we're thinking about what we need to do for our employees and um, how we can support them. Um, we look more to, you know, being empathetic with them. Again, we have extremely talented people, as I'm sure all of you do, and their, um, their health, their mental health is super important. So we focused on that quite a bit this year. Thanks, Andrea. So, Kurt, so you you play a very interesting role. So, you you lead your organization, um, uh, and then you assist clients in a similar role, uh, leading their organizations. So, what what has been your observation? Well, I think um, for me, it's been an interesting thing because part of what I'm experiencing is. Uh, 
kind of going back to uh, a much earlier time in my career when after I was, as I mentioned, I started my career as a software engineer for a brief period of time and then got into the human capital practice at Accenture. And so I worked specifically within change management, uh, communications, strategic change comms, etc. And that's one of the areas that we're seeing a huge resurgence in now based on not just the pandemic, but also uh, the um, racism and anti-racism uh, related uh, topics that are, are going on, especially in this country right now, um, and uh, a lot of the economic impact of some of the different things going on uh, in the world right now. So I think because of all these things and the implications they have on organizations, I am actually seeing this uh, sort of rebirth and renewed interest from line leaders uh, in this change management and communication space. So uh, on a personal note, that's really gratifying because it's, it's an area of passion for me since that's where I started my career. But I've always believed that this is such an important area, but it felt like it went a bit dormant for about 20 years, um, uh, or at least played a little bit less of a prominent role. And then now we are seeing the, uh, an incredible amount of demand for work in this space to the point where we uh, established a, a specific part of our practice to, to focus on this um, and are doing quite a bit of work on that. So I would say that's that's one. The other would probably be anything and everything related to um, DEI, as, as I and others have mentioned so far. And I think you know, this is just an area where I think for all of us as human resources and human capital leaders and line leaders, um, we all need to continually uh, stay current and up our game and build our proficiency on this topic, our competence on this topic, because um, the ground is moving so quickly under our feet on this, you know, sort of overnight because of the police brutality uh, and other uh, racism-related events uh, that have occurred and are occurring. Um, there was this shift almost overnight from talking about things in organizations like unconscious bias and inclusive leadership and allyship, all important things, but literally from one day to the next to talking about building anti-racist organizations and auditing people processes through the lens of racism. And I remember very vividly about, you know, nine months ago when I kind of woke up one morning and, and came to work and, and was was uh, confronted with um, this very much and didn't necessarily feel like that was something that a lot of people were seeing coming, myself included. And so that was a um, an important sort of lesson and reminder that this space, I think more than anything else in the people space, is moving so quickly. So part of what we're trying to do is think about, okay, what's next? What's the next thing in the DEIB space that is uh, that we all need to be prepared for? And so we're putting together, for example, boot camps for HR leaders and line leaders to build their uh, competence in this DEIB space. And we're thinking 10 years out. So as crazy as it sounds, are we going to be in an environment 10 years from now where being an inclusive manager, inclusive leader means that you have teams comprised of, as crazy as it sounds, you know, uh, robots, if you will, who are part of the workforce or other um, AI-related uh, kind of technology um, components to your workforce? And what does it mean to inc be inclusive of that in addition to, you know, the other members of the team that we think about? Just to be provocative, that's an example. So I think for me, the biggest thing is trying to do the daily work and execute and solve 
the problems that we know about, but try and think three steps, five steps, 10 steps ahead about what are we going to be expected to be proficient at a year, five years, 10 years from now. And that's, that's been a pivot uh, for me this past year. Awesome. I think, uh, Kurt, um, amazing points. And uh, you, this is a very interesting point. You, um, I think the, over the last couple of years had been pretty interesting when it comes to employee engagement and, and, and uh, employee like equity and employee representation, activism. And there's a lot of unrest, political unrest going on. There's a lot of other unrest going on. And over like every HR leader that we spoke to over the last couple of months, there had been a consistent outcry on, okay, what's next when it comes to creating a more DEI, more equitable organization. And I, I'd love to know, Andrea and Christine, your point of view of how you are addressing this. And maybe, Christine, Andrea, you can go first. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, you know, for us, again, being a startup or a smaller organization, we knew, um, you know, immediately that, um, as, as the world did, the rude awakening, the fact that being a good person is just not enough when it comes to systemic racism. Um, so here, with the way we handled it, we knew we needed quick action. Uh, I myself do not have a background in, um, in DE&I. Uh, we created, we, we brought on a consultant to help us because we knew what we were dealing with was extremely sensitive and we wanted to do it well. And I, I, I didn't say right on purpose because I don't know that right exists. I think it's a little different for everybody, but we really wanted to make sure that we were doing this comprehensively. We created um, a grassroots effort. We had 40 volunteers in our organization who became part of um, what we call the response plan. It was a um, a strategic action plan that we put together with the help of the consultants and these 40 individuals became separated into five groups and really focused on what do we need to do now, what are some of the things that we um, that are important to you as individuals and important to the organization. And we looked at um, some of the minorities and some of the other groups to find out, you know, what are some of the things that we're missing? So with the help of those 40 individuals, I think we did a really nice job of First of all, making sure that it was part of our culture and that it breathed within um, our Moby walls. Um, the other thing I think it did was it gave, it gave everybody a voice. And I'll say that, uh, that that wasn't a really, it was a difficult exercise, I'll say that. Um, and I say that because it was something we desperately knew was important. And I say we, I'll speak for myself as the CPO and my team. We knew it was important, but we also knew um making a mistake was probably, uh, first of all, the sensitivity, making a mistake would not be a good thing, and also making sure that people felt like we were serious about it. Um, so our grassroots effort really turned out to be a wonderful um, experiment, if you will, in the process. We uh, we have an, a DE&I director who is awesome, and it's been part of our company. Um, the other wonderful thing I would say about COVID is I think we learned a lot about each other because we had to be really specific about asking things and making sure that we were connecting. Um, she, our director of um, DE&I, was one of those people. She was a jewel within our midst that we had not known, had um, health equity had been a passion of hers. She had worked in the community um, also as a pharmacist, and she just had um, 
the ability and the comprehensive understanding of what um, we needed to do on a grassroots level. So when I, my point is we are learning. Um, Kurt, you are so right. When we think about what we need to do in the future, that that's where we go and what we've learned for ourselves is we got to take it one step at a time. We know that we need grace to make progress, so that's what we ask for. We have to push the ball forward, um, and without grace, there is no change. So uh, that is how we have adjusted here. Awesome. Uh, Christine, you want to uh, add to it? Sure, I'll jump in here. I, a lot of, Andrew, what you said resonated for me. We, you know, we also had a very organic response to the, you know, just the increased social unrest last summer. I, I'll say for us, you know, because we're focused on sustainability and, and our mission is, um, you know, all about um, improving that sustainability can win. Um, you know, one of the big outcomes of, of our work in sustainability that, that we've always, it's always been a part of our values is that uh, just and equitable access for historically underserved communities becomes, you know, a focus and a priority because um, often the communities of color or underserved communities are disproportionately affected by, you know, the problems from that of burning fossil fuels or, or brown energy and and there's often um you know sort of energy insecurity and so one of the very intended outcomes of our work has always been to you know provide that that equitable access to clean energy across you know no matter what the who the community is or what the community is but um we we also had a very grassroots organic response to you know the just the the groundswell of of interest and focus across the country last year and it was really incredible to see that um, a number of people in our organization stepped up and took leadership roles you know again sort of like andrea experienced um in ways that we hadn't planned or hadn't anticipated or or couldn't have predicted but it has been a really wonderful way for us to get together we have a, we have what we call a jedi council so justice equity diversity and inclusion and you know we work together to prioritize what it is we want to change inside our organization and how it is and how we want to continue to have a greater impact in the communities in which we operate and so uh, you know we're still in that work and i really resonated for me andrew what you said about making mistakes i think you know this is really uncharted territory sort of from a corporate perspective in a way and although not you know, definitely not for many, many individuals across all of these corporations. But our, when we were first discussing this with our board last summer, uh, one of our board members told us and gave us the advice, you know, my advice to you is to be brave, not perfect. And so that has been our motto through all of this. We're just trying to be brave. We're trying to do what we believe, you know, is right and, and drive greater impact. And we're not we're trying not to be worried about being perfect and and that's hard but we're you know every day we're, we're working to get better i love that i love that saying yeah and then even jedi is a pretty pretty innovative uh, cracker i think that's pretty pretty innovative and fascinating um so kurt um you uh, you want to add to this I, just to say that I, I really love that as well, uh, Christine, and I, I love the, the term JEDI, um, that acronym, and then also this uh, brave but not perfect. And I think um, it, it is interesting because, again, on this entire DEI topic, everyone, 
everyone, including individuals from historically oppressed and marginalized populations, are ill-equipped to navigate during these times. And so I think one of the big ahas that I've had is that, um, you know, this is not just about uh, people um, who don't self-identify as being part of, um, let's say, BIPOC uh, communities, um, learning and trying to become more astute on this DEI topic. It's also uh, individuals who are part of those communities and there are issues within divisiveness within these communities. We all know that that exists anyway. Um, and so everyone is trying to uh, understand how to behave, how to show up, how to lead, how to act, how to interact. Um, and so I think uh, I love the fact that you use the word grace, and I use that all the time um, these days because I think we all need to uh, provide grace to one another as we're learning. And I think as long as people are learning and they're moving forward and they're evolving and they have good intentions, that imperfection point um, really resonates with me and, and is coupled with grace. So I love uh, all those things that you just shared awesome so so one one interesting thing that um, that came, so um, you all are leading people organization you are managing um, people organizations so now um, technology plays uh, and played an important role over the last one year but I think you also have a, um, a pretty stark responsibility to maintain the culture and, and basically narrate with whatever is happening. And so I'm curious to learn from all of you is what's the role of technology has played over last one year and, and where it fails, where, where it actually exceeded. So maybe Kurt, you want to go first? Sure. Um, you know, so we have an HR technology uh, division of our of our firm, and uh, you know, we decided to build HR technology products to meet unmet needs. So we're not really playing in the space of ATS and HCM and, and some of these spaces, but more trying to create some HR technology solutions for areas where there are no solutions. But we do have a fairly strong point of view about existing HR technology solutions that are out there in some of those more saturated spaces. Um, so maybe two points that I'll, I'll highlight. One is that, um, you know, I think that uh, looking at things through the lens of people, process, and technology, um, and as Andrea knows from, from our time at Accenture, um, that sort of was instilled in me from the early days of my career. And so I think about the fact that as we're talking about all the issues that we've discussed today um, in terms of remote work and DEI and uh, manager and leader effectiveness, trying to think about that not just from that people component, but also uh, from a technology component. And are there ways that technology can be useful or helpful? Um, you know, I think we're all aware that there's been this advent of technology platforms to create uh, sort of internal talent brokerage marketplace uh, types of things like Gloat and other platforms like that. And I I think that fits well with the point that we were talking about earlier about it being an employee and uh, job seekers um, market. And so the more things that I think organizations can uh, implement and offer like that to 
convey to candidates and to their own employees that this is an environment that really puts a premium on uh, you being able to uh, have a say in the way that your employment experience um, uh, evolves uh, is really going to be important. Um, the second point that I would just make is that the way I think a lot about HR technology is that I see organization after organization really try and implement HR technology solutions in you know, one fell swoop in an overall comprehensive way. And I have nothing against, um, you know, a lot of the big uh, technology players. I think they are excellent and, and very, very good in their own right. But they're not always the best from a user experience perspective or best in class in particular niche areas. So if you go, for example, with one big technology solution from an HCM perspective and then make the decision to use that for all of your HR technology needs, such as, let's say, career development planning or performance management, sometimes those larger technology platforms aren't the best in some of those niche areas. So we find ourselves recommending, great, go with that large-scale HCM if that's something that you want to do, but then uh, make the decision to put in place some of these really contemporary, novel, niche, boutique, uh, smaller technology platforms that are best in class in some of those particular areas, and then make sure that things are well integrated. In order to do any of that, um, making sure that your data is accurate and um, uh, well cleaned up to prepare for any of these implementations is key. And we see time and time again um, a lot of issues where the data is just a mess. And again, there's this admiring of the problem for years. And then there's the decision to do something about that data cleanup at exactly the same time that a big HR technology implementation is, um, is being executed. And that makes it much more expensive, much more painful, much more stressful, um, and uh, is not optimal. So my strong advice is get everyone should get their houses in order from a data accuracy and integrity perspective, assuming that there will be multiple technology implementations that will follow in the months and, and years uh, to come. Well, awesome, good. So, um, Christine, anything to add to this? No, I, I'm good. I, I agree with I agree with a lot of what Kurt said, and I, I think it's super interesting to think about, you know, where this is going to take us, this intersection of, of technology, data analytics, and people operations, which have historically sort of been separated. Interesting. Um, Andrea? I agree um, with what Kurt was talking about as far as finding out what you, um, and to paraphrase, you know, understanding what our needs are and then trying to meet those needs and not necessarily trying to give us one coverall of the one specific answer. Um, we utilize several different HR systems or modules that help us kind of create first of all, add to our culture and also create um, efficiencies. So to be honest, we don't really think about it uh, much more than that. I think for social platforms, we at this point are using, uh, we don't have a social platform. I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and I know that that really is part of um, HR technology today. So it's something I'm, I'm interested in learning more about. And, and Kurt, maybe there'd be an opportunity for a conversation about that. That'd be great. Thank you. 
Awesome. So, um, Christine, so you talked about something fascinating. So you said uh, you're eyeing at Jan 1st when you're expecting folks to come back. So I'm curious and, and I'm curious um, to hear a point of view from all the leaders on the on the panel. Um, so how do you how do you plan that? What are you like? What are you most passionate and excited about when it comes to bringing the workforce back? Yeah, I'll jump in there. I, you know, uh, so we're we're starting now. Um, Jan one is sort of when we're thinking it'll you know we'll be sort of fully operational and really understand how it's going to all settle. But we're definitely you know starting now and we're requiring everybody to be fully vaccinated to be in the office just to you know optimize people's comfort and and security around their health so um i you know the way i've been thinking about it the way we've been talking about it here at generate is we're we're really thinking about how do we recreate that bridge between our work culture and and a community you know vishal you and i talked about this before but something that's really been on my mind is thinking about how historically we're more isolated from each other than we've ever been. We don't live near our tribes. We're transient. We're mobile. We optimize for weather, cost of living, you know, opportunity, all of these things in ways that we sort of never did generations ago. And over the last year, with most of us, you know, either isolated alone or in very small family groups, we were lonelier than ever. And so I think there's a really incredible opportunity in front of us as business leaders to create sort of a work as community space and and place and and ethos and provide a place where people can thrive and be their best selves the paradigm is shifting we no longer are you know as i think as a group of people leaders we no longer are thinking of people as just cogs in our business but rather they are our business and even if you're if you even if you make a product or you're a manufacturer or you know you don't trade sort of on on knowledge or or judgment or or uh, human capital assets like we do you still i think what we've really begun to learn is that you know people are the heart of of every business and you can't we can no longer afford to overlook that in fact it has to be the focus and so we're really thinking about uh, making sure generate feels like a community for people so that they can continue to you know find greater levels of connectedness at work Awesome. Um, Andrea, you want to add something quick on it? Um, I, just the focus, I just have, we have the same focus that you're talking about, Christine. It's definitely regarding our people and making sure that, um, you know, we, and the reason I asked before, if it was something that you were seeing opposition to, because we're, we're being um, extremely vigilant in understanding what some of those oppositions are, because they're real today, where before a policy would be what we said. Um, so we're, we're navigating and we're learning and we have not come up with our solution yet. So, um, you know, as we all are, we're, we're working. Awesome. Uh, Kurt, you want to add something to it? I think I, no. I think I um, I'll I'll pass on this one. I think the comments that were just made were were perfect. Thank you. Awesome. So um, if so, now we're at the tail end of the conversation. So basically, if you want um, uh, to say give one advice to listeners and viewers who are building, who are seeing this, bracing this uh, transformation, seeing this excitement of coming back to um, to the office. Or uh, what would you what would you suggest? What would you advise to other leaders um, who are facing the same challenges as as you do? And maybe um, uh, Christine, you, Christine, you can go first. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I'd love to. Um, I can't wait to hear Kurt and Andrews. I just, I know we're sort of wrapping down here and I really, really enjoyed being able to listen to, you know, what Kurt and Andrea are thinking about too. I would, I would love to continue that conversation um, over time, but anyway, um, advice, let's see. I think I would say, you know, don't, for us, what's been really important to me has been to think about, um, don't underestimate the power in asking people in our companies to be more of who they are versus I think what we've done historically is we've asked, we've often asked people to develop capabilities, skills, or interests that don't come naturally to them. But the way we think about sort of talent at Generate and uh, you know, to very positive effect is that people should double down on what they're great at. You should hire them for what they're great at, not hire them for things that, you know, they can't yet do, or they haven't, you know, professed an interest in doing. And, and then for us, you know, getting it right, taking, we take our time, we get each hire exactly right. And then we offer as much development and growth support as we can around that. And I think, you know, in this pressure to grow and scale and, and move fast, often hiring is something that is, you know, there's a lot of shortcuts and we've just chosen not to make any, take any of those shortcuts. And we just take our time getting to know candidates and they in turn get, take their time getting to know us. And so then when we jump in together, you know, into this work relationship, um, we're all in and, and they are too. And that goes a long ways. Wonderful input, Christine. So, um, Andrea, you want to go next? Andrea, I think you're in mute. Thank you. I'm sorry. Um, can you just repeat the question, Fisher? I just want to make sure I'm answering it correctly. Yes. So, basically, what is one advice um, that you could give to other leaders who are who are listening and watching this? Ah, okay. Thank you. Um, I didn't know if it was regarding return to work. Um, I will tell you that my advice is the same to people I talk with in my own family. Be kind. Um, be kind and understand that there's a lot going on in this world and it means something different to many different people in our work relationships and our personal relationships. If we can be kind, um, I, I think we'll all be better off and it'll be a more pleasant journey and I think we'll have a better understanding of each other. So kind of a universal comment as well. <laughs> Wonderfully put again, Andrea. So, Kurt, um, you, you're... I think... Uh... One thing has become clear is that uh, I think as we move forward, we should expect that there will be other and continuing new issues that we are all uh, respectfully, myself included, ill-equipped to deal with because we've never dealt with them before. And um, it may be a DEI issue. It may be a public uh, health crisis. It may be something else, um, but there will be, let's just assume that that will continue. And so uh, really, I would say doing two or three key things to prepare for that, uh, that reality. One is um, this sort of cliche of, you know, always trying to think several steps ahead as opposed to just what's directly in front of you in that moment when that crisis hits. Um, two, I think, Again, coming back to the importance and criticality of the role of frontline people managers um, 
and leveraging that and investing in that now, assuming that you'll need that even more and they'll play an even more prominent role for all the reasons we've discussed. And then I think three, um, this whole point about change management and communications uh, is key. And if that's not something where there's a lot of organizational capability, uh, either within the HR function or outside of the HR function, build that now um, so that uh, you have those mechanisms in place, you have that proficiency so that uh, you have it when you will need it most here as we go forward. Um, thank you so much, uh, Kurt. So that brings to the to the end of the conversation, and and I would uh, like to thank uh, Kurt, Andrea, and Christine for um, joining with the conversation and helping us all understand what it takes to be a leader uh, during the testing times and how to bring an organization back. And thank you for all that you are doing to spread love, kindness, and empathy. And uh, I think one of the takeaway that I have it in my note is Jedi. I think that's, Christine, you put it best. I think that's uh, uh, really, really amazing. And thank you, everyone, for that. Yeah, it was a great session. I really learned a lot from both you, Kurt and Christine. Thank you. Like, likewise, I feel in excellent company and um, learned a lot as well and appreciate Vishal the opportunity to be part of this discussion. Thank you.